What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Heavenly Father, we come again, Lord, with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits. Thanking you once again, Lord, for another day not promised to us. Lord, I'm asking that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions. And those things are placed a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time I have with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Have you have given us yet another day, Lord, that we are meant to partake in your word and we are meant to share your gospel, Lord. And lift up the name of Jesus, the name above all names. Yes, Lord, Jesus. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, yes, every spirit of contention, every spirit of confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, hatred, every spirit of fear, doubt, and unbelief, and everything that is against you, Lord Jesus. I pray that you bind it in this very hour. Yes, Lord, I pray that no flesh gets glorified tonight. I pray that your words be heard. Again, Lord, we are speaking to the remnant tonight, Lord. So I pray that you have their ears open to receive your truth. Thank you, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anything that I say, Lord, that is against you, that you keep it from coming to pass. Yes, Lord. But, Lord, if my words be sound, let they be heard, Lord, to those who want to hear. Yes, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, for all those in the ministry, Lord, who couldn't be here today. I pray that you clean the blinders off of people's eyes, Lord. I pray that you open their hearts, that people have a real understanding that it is only about you and it is not about us, Lord. Let us get out of ourselves, Lord, that we may serve you effectively. So, Lord, I pray that you just continue to keep us in your graces. We just thank you for being an awesome God and all that you do. Yes, I pray, Lord, that the day will come that we will reach full manifestation in Christ Jesus. Yes, that people may know that you are alive because we already do. Yes, we believe in your words. We believe in your finished work on the cross. You, we believe in your shed blood as the only remission of sins. So, Lord, I just pray this day that we honor you in thought, manner, and conversation that all that we do, Lord, will glorify you. Yes, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you do these things that we pray for, for your glory and your honor. Yes, Lord, Take sickness from the midst of us. Yes, Take pride from the midst of us, Lord. Yes, Take those Lord. things, Lord, that defile men away from us, yes, Lord, that we Jesus. may be sanctified and follow you. Yes, Lord. Do it, Lord, for your glory and your honor. You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, brother. All right. How you doing, man? I'm all right. All right. Good to see you. So you got your Bible. I know the print was kind of small, yeah. but I was it's hoping right. that it would be better. Is that okay? Yeah, I met some dude last night. I was telling Sarah uh-huh. at the bar. And uh-huh. um, he literally healed me forever. Really? I was shocked. <laughs> That's um, awesome, he, I asked him to pray over me. He was from Israel. And he, I... This dude spoke in Israel and over me. And then another guy came up and said, like, he was telling me how he's beaten and neglected as a child by his parents. And mm-hmm. 
how his father, he used to watch his father beat his mother and, mm-hmm. and how one day he was walking and it was, it was pouring down rain. He had no coat or nothing. And like he, he said, there's a God send a ray of light over me in three seconds, three, two. And then as one said, he said, everything stopped. Like then and then something exploded down from the sky. And he seen this person in like a red gown mm-hmm. with the most loving voice. And he was like telling me all this stuff. I'm like, okay, I have a question for you. Can you pray over me? And he's like, yes. And he was telling me that Jesus made this road, mm-hmm. like like a wide road. And he started walking him towards the left. He said, uh-uh, go backwards. He goes, now you're following me towards the right path. Mm-hmm. And I started asking him questions last night, and he was kind of sucking. Because I've, I've been wanting to go to Illinois for a long time now. Mm-hmm. And I might be, and I'm going in six months mm-hmm. to live with my sister. And um, he... He touched me, and he said, your acromegaly is gone. Jesus told me to tell you it's gone. But he said, there's one reason why Jesus won't talk to you. I said, why is that? He said, you're selfish. I said, what do you mean by that? He goes, you always tell people your problems. You butt into people's conversation when you're out and about, and you try to make everything about you. Mm-hmm. I said, he goes, you're a kind guy. Jesus is telling me this. He said, and I was like, whoa. And I, and I looked at my hands. And I felt my hands start to tingle mm-hmm. and really start tingling. Oh, yeah. And I felt my knees tingling. Mm-hmm. And his name was Page of Angels. Yeah. And his idea said Page of, Page of Angels. And he teaches in the library to kids about the Bible. That's an awesome testimony, and man. After, he said that there was a demon of anger. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's what I want to tell you. So after he touched me, I, I had it on video, but it got, my phone keeps erasing things because I ain't got the SD card and it's over. Act, it's overactive. That's fine. So yeah. after he touched me, I felt this thing go, and and I literally looked down at the same time, and it was just so dark and evil. Mm-hmm. It started laughing at me and screaming at me, and it just went straight down to the ground. And I started asking him all these questions. I said, "Okay, may I ask a question? Is, am I going to be healed from the acromegaly?" He goes, "You already are at this moment." He goes, "I want to let you know something. God wanted me to let you know this." I said, "What's that? God don't do things on our time." He does it in his. That's right. And I said, whoa. And, I, and like, I just felt my hair and everything like to start moving. And there was no wind, no rain, no nothing. And like, I was shocked at the moment. And I asked him, I, asked, I started asking him questions. I said, I said, okay, I have a question for you. I said, I've been wanting to go to Illinois for a while. He goes, he goes ding, ding, ding. I said, ding, ding, ding. What do you mean by that? He goes, you just figured out your path. Portland or Illinois. He said, if you stay in Portland, everything's going to crumble for your life. You go to Illinois in six months. Jesus is telling me everything's going to open up for you. And I looked, and I, my hand, my whole hand just started tingling. My knees, my whole body just started tingling. I, I, like, my breath came back. I was like, whoa. That's awesome. And he said, Jesus told me to tell you this. There is one part of your body that it's not going to function fully because of what you do. And I said, my heart? He goes, nope. Your lungs. I go, my lungs? He said, nope. He goes, your lungs are good. I said, then what is it? He goes, it's right by your liver. I said, my pancreas? She goes, ding, ding, ding. I said, why is that? He goes, because Jesus told me to tell you that you need to stop holding your bladder for a week. Your bowels. You need to go. And you feel yourself, you have to go, go. 
Mm. I said, okay. It was, it was like, I was kind of shocked. And I was like, I looked up, and at the same time I was telling Sarah on the way here, I looked up, and I seen this cloud wink at me. Oh, yeah. And it was gone. Mm-hmm. The blink of an eye. Wow. And I was like, my hands and everything just came alive again. And I woke up this morning, usually I wake, I wake up enraged. And I woke up, and I was just like, I felt good. And like, morning, Mom. Morning, Dad. Morning, Ron. Mm-hmm. And they were like, yeah. All right. All right, so an awesome testimony. Um, so tonight's study is going to be called The Simplicity in Christ Jesus. Meanwhile. The Simplicity in Christ Jesus. Well, because I think that a lot of people, to answer your question, really look at the Bible as some type of complex work. And, you know, a lot of people try and equate Jesus to a lot of false religions and other things that go on. Yes, the Bible does have requirements and things that we ought to do, but I think what drives a lot of people, too, is um, they don't understand how simple it is to get to know Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of people will put so many different things in. Well, what, do I do this? Do I do that? What should I do first? And this and that. So we're going to have seven key words we're going to speak about tonight that are going to express how simple it is to know Jesus Christ. Now, you notice when Jesus Christ spoke to his disciples or when he spoke to people, do you notice there was so much wisdom that came out of it, but... It was also in the simplest of terms. He would give you simple examples, things that would let you understand that this is what you needed to do. He didn't go after the mysteries of the universe and all these other things and try and have a super high vocabulary. It wasn't even about that, even though we know, I'm sure our Lord does have one. But the point is, is that he addressed people in great plainness of speech that they might get it. All right, so the first thing we're going to go over tonight, because people need to understand how simple it is to know Jesus. And if we step away from simplicity, we can be deceived. Mm -hmm. This is why you got people that are Jehovah Witnesses, because of the very fact that they don't understand the simplicity in Christ. They go after the Watchtower Track Society, got to be in this Kingdom Hall, got to work on Saturdays. And whenever you decide to work, they're missing it by 100 miles. What they're doing is they found new ways to use the law of Moses and put it into the present along with some false doctrine. So we're going to get into that. I mean, you know, you got Mormons, you got even Catholics, you got people praying to Mary, people going all over the place, just trying to, you know, get closer to the Lord. And they just can't do it that way. All it takes is to have the simplicity of Jesus Christ, you know, and know what that is, that they may have a relationship. When Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, he's absolutely right. So we got to understand what this is. So uh, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's go there first. That's what we're going to cover tonight. First Corinthians or second? Second Corinthians chapter 11. Yeah, I got it. I know I got it. Okay. 
Yeah, because that's a new Bible. So I like it. I love yeah. it a lot. It's, it's my color. No, I'm good. I wish the print would have been a little larger, but yeah, no, I'll make right. sure that's... We'll get my glasses soon. So oh, okay. I gotta, I'm going to go get them next month. Awesome. Yeah, because I want to get my glasses before I go to Illinois. Right. Oh, yeah. Because I've been having major headaches. And after after meeting that guy last night, I mean, and then he just vanished. Mm-hmm. He just, like, I looked around the bar looking for him. He was gone. Hey, I believe that the Lord can do absolutely anything. Mm -hmm. He is God. So this is 2 Corinthians 11. We'll start at verse 1, and it says, Would to God ye could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So Paul's talking about he's jealous over the Corinthians with godly jealousy, you know, that he may present them as a chaste virgin. But see, so, you know, when we come after the Lord, this is one reason why we tell people the truth is because holding back truth for the sake of feelings, holding back truth for the sake of, you know, comfort can actually, it doesn't help people is what I'm saying. There's nothing wrong with comforting people teaching and exhorting but i think at times when you know we hold back from the truth that you're not giving people what they need to know you know like even when the bible talks about um not the bible but even when parents tell their kids i don't want you involved in this or that because of the consequences of this parents tell you these things really young in life so that way you can grow up with the right mindset that you won't face a lot of danger It's the same thing in the gospel when we're telling people the truth that they might know it before the trouble comes their way. So Paul is doing this, why? That he may present them as a chaste virgin to Christ. What is a chaste virgin? A virgin that God is after? A virgin that God may have to spank her butt? Anything, whatever it takes for them to be clean, that he'll run after you, tell you when you're wrong. You know, he'll drive your conscience To the place of saying, okay, Lord, all right, all right, Lord, you were right, I was wrong. And when you get that sensitivity in the spirit, believe me, you you start to do something wrong, and you can just feel the Holy Ghost tell you, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, that's not a good thing. I felt that last night. Yeah, you know. I felt that last night, and it was, it shocks me. Mm -hmm. And like I was telling Sarah, like, there was no wind, no rain, and my hair just went, like it moved and everybody seen it at the bar and they were like whoa that's awesome man and I felt my hands and everything tingle again mm-hmm. that's that and virtue that came out of him ama- and that guy after 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 he prayed over me and said all these things and told me about how like Illinois is my place to go mm-hmm. saying my acromegaly's gone but my pancreas won't work because I hold my bowel movement for like, I hold my bowels for like two weeks right and he was like saying something about how smoking is not bad because I only do it as a socialize, which is true. Right. And how he's telling mm-hmm. himself, it's, which is true. No, and totally. How, and it, I was shocked. I was mm-hmm. like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, that's the Lord. And that, he can and, do all and, things. And after that dude spoke to me, I looked around. He wasn't there. He was gone. Dang, I'm not, I'm not doubting that for one instant because I know the supernatural power and all that the Lord can do. You know, I believe you. Amen. So this is uh, 2 Corinthians 3, I mean, um, 11 and 3, and it says, But I fear, 
lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. So what is subtlety? Subtlety is softness. Subtlety is like being very charming, you know, or, or slow, like, you know, kind of slithering like a snake. So he's saying that he fears lest by any means as the serpent beguiled, he tricked Eve. He tricked Eve through his subtlety. So one thing we understand about Satan is he doesn't just jump right in. He takes his time to work his way in. Mm -hmm. He's got to tell you things to entice you to get you to follow. Mm -hmm. So he says, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So this is why he's saying that he feared because if we listen to a lot of subtlety, there's a lot of subtlety out there. There are a lot of tricks of the trade. There's a lot of agendas that people want to get into. And if we're not careful, and if we don't understand the simplicity in Christ, our minds can be corrupted. We're going to get an example of this right after we read this, but we have to understand simplicity because you have the enemy, you've got religion, it will lead you all over the place. People are just going according to what they believe. I'll give you a classic example, the black Hebrew Israelite movement. Everybody's going out preaching that, talking about that. I'm hearing every day on the news, they say that the black man is the real Jew. You know what? Whether he is or he's not, that's got nothing to do with the simplicity that is in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. But you see, the devil, if it is true, he will allow truth like that to leak out. Why? So you can get focused on you. The same way Satan used Eve and told her, you will be as God's. You will know good and evil. You won't die. So he put the emphasis back on Eve. Eve forgot about the Lord and Eve did what she wanted to do. So it is so important that we understand the simplicity in Christ because there are a lot of things in religion out there, a lot of doctrine that will puff you up and make you believe that, man, this has to be of God because it feels good. We have to go according to what is written and be led by the Spirit of God. And as we know, everything in the Spirit of God that the Spirit may tell us may not always feel so good. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes it hurts, but it's only for that correction. It's like dealing with that chaste virgin mm -hmm. that we might understand the truth. Yep. Simplicity means simple, right? Simple, right. The simpleness in Christ. Then it says, for if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive another gospel, yeah. I mean, sorry, another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, it might bear well with him. So he said there is another Jesus, there is another gospel, and there is another spirit. So what we intend to do tonight is bring forth the right Jesus, the plain gospel, with as much plainness of speech as possible, and we're going to break down this simplicity because all it takes is to obey what the Lord tells us and all the religious rituals and things that people get into, they can go somewhere with that, okay? Because we're not governed by laws. Every man that is led by the Spirit of God is the Son of God. So we are yielding to the Spirit of God that he might work with us. Mm -hmm. So let's go to Galatians chapter 3 real quick. And then we're going to uh, get right into it. It's right after Corinthians. Oh, okay. Got it right here. All right. Chapter 3. Galatians 3. Got it. We'll yeah. start at verse 1. Look at what Paul tells the Galatians. Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? So anybody understand what bewitching means? 
Like witchcraft or yes. placing a spell on somebody. Being tricked, you know, yeah. or like enticed. And, you know, um, a lot of people are spellbound, even in a lot of so-called churches. Mm -hmm. They believe in doctrines that the Bible never said. They go after things that the Bible tells us not to. But you see, and, and I'm not picking on Roman Catholics, but I want to make the point concerning this. Catholics are not Christians. Catholics may have a heart after, you know, God sometimes and they speak right. But their problem isn't how much they, um, I want to say this right, that they might understand. But it's not so much about not believing Jesus Christ. But see, when you believe that you can put something with Jesus, then we've got a problem. Because every time Mary was mentioned in this Bible, it was only that, in, in, almost in a negative form. Like, woman, what are you doing here? Don't you know it must be about my father's business? So Mary was not special. Mary was of the lineage of David. Mary was a young virgin girl, and the Lord promised um, David that, you know, the Messiah would be born out of his loins. So that's why Mary was chosen. She was just a good little girl that was of the lineage of David that the Lord found favor with and he wanted to use. She's not the queen of heaven. She's not any of these other things. She wasn't immaculately conceived. Mm -hmm. And she did not just have Jesus as a virgin. She did have him as a virgin, but she did not go with not having any kids after that. Right. The Bible makes clear that Jesus Christ, after he was born of a virgin, uh, they had sons. Uh, he had brothers and sisters. So we know for a fact that Mary and Joseph had more kids after Jesus Christ. Okay, but I'm just bringing this point up because if Catholics really loved Jesus, they would take him at his word and what he said. The fact that they can be convinced that there's a such thing as a pope, that there's a such thing as cardinals and bishops, that there's a such thing as the Vatican, the so-called holy city. If they can be convinced of that, that's what you call bewitched because none of those things are in the Bible. No. But you see, they can convince people, man, this has got to be the presence of God in here. And you got all that stuff going on and none of it is scriptural. Mm -hmm. So that's how people can be uh, bewitched because you, you're made to believe things that this word never says. Yep. So we're going to get on simplicity. So he said, oh, foolish Galatians. Who have bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ had been evidently set forth, crucified among you? So he said, man, who, who tricked you? Who did this to you that you actually believe this? Because what the Galatians problem was, I'll read it in verse two. This only what I learn of you, receive ye the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. So we make clear here that the Galatians had the Holy Ghost, they have the Spirit. But Paul is asking the Galatians, who tricked you? Have you received the Spirit by the works of Moses' law? Or have you received the Spirit by the hearing of faith? Now you know that the Bible says that, um, oh man, uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Yes. So we believe Jesus Christ because we hear His words and we chose to believe it. So the more that we hear of the of the right gospel, of the truth, this is what our faith is, is based on. Not what we can do. Now, of course, the Spirit is going to lead you to good works. 
The Spirit sanctifies us over time, cleans us out, that we might be like Christ. But there are no religious rules or rituals you can follow to obtain this, only by faith. Amen. So the Galatians have been fooled. Verse 3, Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? So Paul is making clear, man, how did you even do this? How did you guys get turned all the way over here? But he's going to explain it. He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Now you remember at the time of Jesus Christ, no one was performing miracles. You had the Sadducees and the Pharisees, all these religious leaders, they knew all of the Old Testament law, but not one of them had the lick of the Spirit to have any power. Paul, when he was converted to Jesus Christ and he met the Lord and decided to follow him, then came the power because they were in the right spirit. So, um, you know, long story short here, people were trying to get the um, people to go unto following the law and not going according to grace and faith. Okay, this is where we are right now into getting into Christ. It's about yielding your, your body over to him and letting him use us. Okay, so the first word that we're going to cover tonight is vessel. Okay, because some people would say, well, how can the Lord use me? The Bible says, present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. That is the first stage in the simplicity of getting to know Christ. You might have heard the words. You might have believed what the Lord has said. And now it's okay. Now what do I do? Offer your body over. Lord, I'm available to you. Do what you need to do in me and I won't resist you. Amen. Okay, so that's the first stage is being a vessel. So let's move forward. I want to go to, uh, let's go to Matthew 9. Matthew chapter 9. Let's back the other way. When you think about it, Jesus used simple terms like vessel. You know, like, like a cup of water. You can just take a cup of water and you can put it under, you know, you can fill it or you can take a cup, fill it with anything you want to. And the, I promise you, the cup is not going to resist you. Yeah. The cup is going to do what you say, yeah. <laughs> you know. So that's why when the Lord says, man, present yourself as a vessel, we're going to find out that we truly are. And unless we see ourselves as vessels, we can't do the Lord's will. I'm here preaching and doing what I'm doing now is because that's what the Lord calls me to do. Amen. If he chooses for me to go somewhere else, then I'm somewhere else. He pick and chooses what we speak about that people might understand. But I can't have my opinion along with what the Lord's will is. It's his will first and foremost. Amen. All right. So it's, the, like you were saying about a cup is, is that it's being a vessel is that it's neutral. A yeah. cup doesn't have any feelings. No emotions. It's not sitting there saying, why me? You know, exactly. it does exactly what you tell it to do. Yeah, like you go to grab your cup. You think it's going to say to you, well, can't you use somebody else? I'm tired. It's kind, that, of, it's kind of like how my doctor, how he said, no, you acromically can't be beaten. And I looked at him and I said, anything can be beaten with the word, with Jesus Christ. Amen. Exactly. Now that is pure faith. So this is Matthew um, 9 and verse 1. And he, who is Jesus, entered into a ship 
and passed over and came into his own city. And behold, they brought him a man sick with the palsy, lying on the bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. So we understand that this guy probably obtained this um, disease from sin because, you know, he healed him and he said, hey, your sins have been forgiven. So it is important mm -hmm. for us to even understand that a lot of illness can be due to sin. Mm -hmm. Not in every case, but, you know, it's making clear here it can happen. So he says in verse three, and behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemeth. And Jesus knoweth their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thine house. So Jesus healed this man and told that man to go. They they called Jesus a blasphemer, but Jesus, you know, there's, there's things like this where Jesus was letting people know, hey guys, I'm God. I can forgive sins. I have the power to forgive sin. Who can forgive sin but God? Exactly. So when people want to say Jesus Christ is not God, people think when you say Jesus isn't God, I mean, he's God, that he's the Father. No, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. They are all God, one God in three persons, three distinct persons of the Godhead. Amen. So it says in verse seven, and he arose and departed to his house. But when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of customs. So this guy, Matthew, was a tax collector. And he saith unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. Now, this is what you talk about, a heavy anointing. The fact that Jesus Christ can actually tell people, follow me, and people will come. But you know what? I believe why it was so easy for Jesus is because Jesus was led of the spirit of who would receive and who wouldn't. Mm -hmm. Now, that didn't stop him from ministering to everyone, mm -hmm. but he did know when he went to someone, follow me, it was because the Spirit told him, this guy is ready. And because he is Jesus Christ, he knows all things anyway. But you see, he ministered to all, but he also knew who would be a disciple and who wouldn't. Mm -hmm. So it says in verse 10, And it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your masters with publicans and sinners? So as you can see, these guys are religious snobs. They don't like the fact that Jesus was speaking to those not-so-churchy people. He was talking to those people that you would find anywhere because he wanted them to be redeemed. He wanted them to be made whole. Amen. So this is the heart of our Lord. He doesn't look down on people, but he will tell you when you were wrong. You know, verse 12. Amen. But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. And that's why with this upcoming conference, you know, it would be nice to have church people come along. But you know, the thing is, is that We've got to recognize that 
you know, those who need the Lord are out there in the streets. Those who need the Lord are in crack houses. They're, they're in bars. They're in the hospitals. They're in prison. These are the people that the church should be ministering to, not to people that already know the Lord. Because most people will do that. And you see how the religious leaders were? They sat amongst themselves. They didn't associate with the common people. But see, Jesus brought the gospel right down Main Street. Mm-hmm. He came and made it available to everybody that they might um, get it. So he says, but go ye and learn what, the, what that meaneth. Uh, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So who do we speak to? Those who are in need of the Lord. And this is a hard thing to get Christian people to stop running after people that they already know. If this person's a Christian, good. Now go find the unbeliever and convert him to Christ. So you see, much of what we do as vessels, if you truly are a vessel of the Lord, he is going to lead you to win souls. It will not be about your personal experiences and things that you have, although our testimonies are good. Your testimony is amazing. You know, we may have signs and visions and things like that. But the thing, the overall goal is when you have been made a vessel, the Bible says that you are fit unto every good work. So God can use you in any way he sees fit. All right. So he says, and um, then came uh, to him. The disciples of John saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast off, but thy disciples fast not? And Jesus said unto them, can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then shall they fast. I'll tell you two things that probably symbolizes us being vessels more than anything at any time. One is fasting. When you deny yourself, that means you are somewhat like a vase, like a cup. You are empty to be filled. Mm -hmm. You are emptying yourself out, your wants, your desires, and you want the Lord to bring the Spirit upon you. Mm -hmm. And second is prayer, especially when you're speaking in tongues. I'm not saying for any other purpose, but you know, when you speak in tongues, you don't have any control over what's coming out of your mouth. Yep. You are being led by the Spirit as that happens. And that's why when people pray in tongues, they can pray for hours. I'm not saying you can't pray in tongues. I mean, you can't pray for hours without it. You can't. But the point is, is when you have been taken over by the Spirit, you don't know what's being said. All you know is that the words are coming out. So it is important that we understand about being a vessel. A vessel will make himself empty that he might be filled, you know, and, you know, prayer, you know, it's giving yourself over to the Lord to be filled also. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is important. So Jesus said, um, no man putteth a piece of new cloth into an old garment for that which is put in to fill it up, uh, taketh from the garment and the rent is made worse. So, you know, clearly here the Lord is speaking of we need to be made whole in order to truly become vessels. Mm-hmm. Verse 16, I mean, verse 17, neither do men put new wine into old bottles, else the bottle break and the wine runneth out and the bottles perish it. So Jesus also used an example here that, you know, when wine is being fermented, that you need to put, 
you know, new wine into new vessels. If you put new wine into an old vessel, it will burst. It will bust open. So he's making clear here that you cannot have the Holy Ghost if you are still in the world. Why? Because it's not that the Holy Ghost would hurt you, but we got to understand the Holy Ghost lands on us for the reason of doing the will of the Lord. Mm -hmm. The only thing that the Holy Ghost is going to do with you is clean you out and use you. So when people tend to want the Holy Ghost, but you're still stuck in the world, what do you think is going to happen? The Holy Ghost is going to pull one way. You're going to want to go another way. And what's going to happen? Your life is going to fall apart. You won't have it together in order to meet the needs of the Lord. Like the Lord may tell you, I want you to start a ministry like you. Let's just use you as an example tonight. You're going, you want to go to Illinois. You're going mm -hmm. in six months. Mm -hmm. Now, the Spirit may be leading you to go there. But let's just say there are other things tied to you here. Like, let's just say you miss your friends where you go and hang out. So you might say, man, I don't really want to go. But if the Lord has, has called you to ministry in, in um, Illinois, then what's going to happen to you? You're not going to obey the Lord. So it takes a mind to be transformed, a vessel fit to hold the new wine that you may do what the Lord calls. And I told, I told my friends and everybody, I told my mom, I told my stepdad, I told my grandma and grandpa, I said, look, I said, I don't have a lot here. I don't have a lot of friends. Mm -hmm. I really don't. I said, my family back in Illinois, they want to help me, but I got to wait for six months till my sister gets a bigger house. Mm -hmm. Once she gets a bigger house and they have a basement, then I'm going to be living with them. Mm -hmm. I'm going to help her raise the kids properly with why her husband's at work since I can't work. Mm -hmm. But just because I can't work because I'm disabled doesn't mean I cannot do the work of God. Amen. You're absolutely right. So what you are doing by what you just said and you moving out there, you are making yourself available for the Lord to use you. Amen. Okay, so that's a vessel. Then it says, um, Neither do men put new wine into old bottles, else the bottles break and the wine runneth out and the bottles perish, but they um, that they put new wine into bottles and both are preserved. So if we are clean and fit for the Master's use, the Holy Ghost will fill us and lead us unto every good work. Mm -hmm. So you see how simple Jesus makes it? He doesn't tell you about, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do this. Hey, let's just talk about vessels for a minute. A vessel is something that is fit to contain something. You can put coins in a cup. You can put sand in a cup. You can put water in a cup. Whatever it, whatever you decide to put that can fit into that cup, I promise you that cup will not complain. And this is what the Lord is looking for, a vessel that can hold the new wine, which is his spirit. Right. So before we even think about being full of the Holy Ghost, let's make let's let the Holy Ghost work on us that we might be vessels cleaned out unto unto God's work. Mm -hmm. All right. So I want to use one more example and then we'll move on. Let's go to Acts nine. Acts chapter nine. We're gonna get a quick example of a vessel. It's about four books to the right. nine and we'll start at verse one and it says and Saul now you know that this is Paul 
-hmm. Okay, and so yet breathing out of threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord went unto an high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues that if he found any of this way, uh, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. So, you know, Paul was a persecutor of the church. Paul killed Christians. And, you know, he was very proud about it. I mean, he yelled out threatenings. He said he didn't care if they were man or woman. He was going to um, go after them. This is verse 3. And when he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shone round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now, if your book is in red letter, you know that this is Jesus Christ. Jesus is asking him a question, and he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. So the Lord was making it clear to Saul, even though Saul was persecuting the church, he's saying, Saul, you're fighting a battle that you can't win. When you kick against pricks, you're kicking against sharp objects. So how can you actually hurt the prick if you're the one stabbing yourself as you're kicking against it? So right. he's saying, Paul, this is a meaningless battle. I'm giving you an option to come and work for me because right now you're, you're destroying yourself. And he trembling, Paul trembled. Look, and look. Yeah. On page. It's moving. Oh, yeah. I'm about to be touching nothing. Bro, we just came loose. Yeah. So it says, and he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, arise and go into the city and it shall be told thee what thou must do. So right away when Paul was struck by the spirit of God and knocked off that donkey to Damascus, right away you see a humbling of Paul. Mm -hmm. Now see, if this is a murderer yielding to the presence of God and is changing his life, you know, at this moment, then we got to question how many of us or how close have we been to the Lord that he's dictating what we do? Paul already sounds like a vessel. Yeah. Just that quick. What do you have me to do? And the Lord said, oh, I'll tell you what you're going to do. But I want you to go into the city and I'm going to get it straight. So you see, Paul, just in the presence of Jesus Christ, you know, and Jesus wasn't even physically there, but he was there in the spirit. Man, got this guy under control in a heartbeat. All right. So verse 7. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. So Paul was kind of temporarily blind from coming into this uh, relationship with Jesus or, or meeting him. So it says, and when he was, okay, uh, verse nine, and he was three days without sight and neither did he eat or nor drink. So isn't it funny how Paul's sight is going right now? He didn't eat or drink. So it's kind of like he's being emptied out. To, exactly. But I mean, maybe not even, willing to but just you know so distressed over his eyes that the lord made him available that he wouldn't even eat mm -hmm. until the lord's will was done so he says and there was a certain disciple at damascus named ananias and to him he and to him said the lord in a vision 
Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight. Now you see that's a capital S there. What is the street called Straight? Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And inquire in the house of Judas uh, for one called Saul of Tarsus, for beholdeth he prayeth. So while he's praying, the Lord is answering his prayer and sent his disciple Ananias to go see Paul mm -hmm. and have seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putteth um, his hand on him that he might receive his sight. And uh, Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many, by many of this man how much evil he have done to thy saints at Jerusalem. So Ananias is like, Lord, are you sure that you want us to go after this Saul? Saul of Tarsus, I've heard all the evil that this man has done. So he just wanted to make sure, like, Lord, are you sure we're talking about the same person? Because this guy was a murderer. Verse 14. And he, I mean, and here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I shew him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So we got a couple of key words here. The Lord says, go thy way. He said that um, Saul, who, was, who became Paul, is a vessel. Mm -hmm. I've chosen him. And he says he's going to preach to the Gentiles. So he was given an assignment and he was told, and the kings and the children of Israel. And then he says, for he must suffer many things or the great things he would suffer for the name of Jesus. Now, let's go back to this vessel. Let's understand this. A vessel can actually, or a cup, can be put under hot water. You know, when your pot is actually boiling water for you, do you ever think about the feeling of the pot? Hopefully not, because the pot has none. Okay, the pot is just there burning on the stove until your water is ready. Now, I'm not saying that's the case for us, but we've got to understand vessels suffer for their Lord or their, or their uh, provider or their owner, I should say. When something is in your possession, you use it how you see fit. Even if you get mad and decide to throw it and break it, I promise you that that vessel will not scream out and cry. Now, I'm not trying to say that's what the Lord would do, but I'm making the point that a vessel only does what he that possesses it wants to do with it. Yes. Okay, so he's using Paul in this way, and he said what Paul would be used for him making him a vessel. One more example and we're done. Let's go to 2 Timothy 2 and then we'll go on to the next word. Yes. Timothy? Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. That's um, right. It's what, before Hebrews? Before Hebrews. Yeah. Is it the first apostle of Paul? Timothy? Uh, um, it's the second epistle. Uh, yes, but it's the second one. Gotcha. So it's it's right after First Timothy. Got it right here. Okay, perfect. All right. So this is um, Second Timothy two, and let's start at verse twenty. Twenty. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Let's start at verse nineteen. Sorry. 
So it says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So the Lord knows those that are his, and the Lord wants them to depart from iniquity. That's why he blinded Paul when he did. He wanted to give him a fresh set of eyes that he might see the way that the Lord sees. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself of these, if you clean yourself of these, ye shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. So we understand here that these vessels of gold and silver in the house, these are things that man treasures in, you know, and some things man don't treasure in. You know, some people like, oh, man, beautiful gold. You know, but if you're purged of this, yeah, man, it's a cup. You know what I mean? I don't care about the value of it. I want to be a vessel for the Lord to use. So he said that if you sanctify yourself of those, that you will be led unto good work. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So you want the Lord to use you as a vessel? Mm -hmm. He says, flee youthful lust. What are youthful lust? Things that we got into as children that some people still get into. You know, some people are arrested in development where they want to still be children, even though they might be called to more. Like I'll give you an example. If what if the Lord was going to use you as a vessel and he tells you he wants you to go somewhere, but you've got plans for Disney World this week. Now, you know, you can have Disney World or you can go and do what the Lord says to do. See, youthful lust will say, man, I just want to go there and have a good time. But see, the will of the Lord is greater than anything. I so, don't do what the Lord wanted me to do. Exactly. Right. But that's escaping youthful lust. But you see, if you can't escape that, then you always think that there's a time for play. There's a time for my personal enjoyment. It's kind of well, like, sorry, not, no, no, no it's problem. It's kind of like how I used to dress like a thug and how I used to hang out with the thugs. Perfect example. But I never was a thug to begin with. Perfect example. You got a lot of 50 year old men, pants still hanging, mm -hmm. still talking, still acting like a thug. It's like, dude, when will you grow up? Mm -hmm. When will you decide to be a responsible man and go on with your life? Mm -hmm. So that's a great example. Those are youthful lusts. You know, like a, a guy may have problems with his flesh when he's young, chasing women. But you get a certain age, man. You know, you should be beyond that. Don't you want more out of life? But you got some guys, they still don't get it. They are, st excuse me, still the same individual. So these are youthful lust. He says, but follow righteousness, charity, um, faith, charity, which is love, peace, and them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So our hearts need to be pure before the Lord. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender stripes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men apt to teach and patient. So striving would be like arguing, you know, or trying to gain control over a situation. He said, uh-uh, don't strive. You know, be gentle to, unto all men. Now, gentle doesn't mean weak. Gentle means if there's a nicer way to handle a situation, handle it that way that the person might be edified. Mm -hmm. Then he says, in meekness, which is humility, being humble, 
If you're wrong, admit you're wrong. Stop arguing to try and support that you're right and you're dead wrong. If you can receive correction, that's what a vessel would do. Vessel doesn't decide whether it gets cleaned out or not. If the Lord intends to use us, he will tell us in areas where we're wrong, like chaste virgins, you know, that sort of thing, you know, getting them right, getting them together. Mm -hmm. So then he says, in meekness, instructing those who oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. So you see, acknowledging the truth is what's important for growth. Don't, def don't defend your sin. Don't hide it. Repent and ask the Lord to take it from you and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. So this is a good point to end the whole thing of vessels because we got to understand that we are vessels no matter what. You're either a vessel unto Satan or you're a vessel unto the Lord. I would rather choose the Lord because a vessel unto Satan, when he's done using you, he'll take you and throw you away. That's his intent. Ask Michael Jackson. Ask Whitney Houston. Ask all those celebrities out there that live their lives in the big time. Half of them go crazy, get used up on drugs when the devil's done with you. He'll throw you in the trash. Mm -hmm. he, he sucks the life out of you like a vampire. He has no intentions on using you. But the Lord uses us for, for his will. Mm -hmm. But look at how it says in 26 that um, they recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by at his will. So imagine being a vessel of the devil. And that's what you see today. People held captive. You want the Lord to set you free that you might be that vessel. And I'm one to witness that. That's Me too. Yep. Me too. And that thing said, <laughs> and it was gone. That's right. And I felt the Lord just, I felt blessing. I felt like just, wow. I had tears everywhere in my eyes. That's well. awesome. That's the work of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So, I mean, you know, that's the thing that the Lord set you free. And why? You heard during uh, dealing with this guy, you uh, were, were healed of your sickness. Mm -hmm. You know, he took uh, demons away from you. Mm -hmm. And he told you about going to Illinois mm -hmm. to get started over. Mm -hmm. So, you see, he gave you purpose. He cleaned you out, and he gave you a word in season that you might be a vessel fit unto God's good work. So that's a good example. Yeah. So from here, let's move on. The second word we're going to go to is vines and branches. Why do I use them interchangeably? Because they're pretty much the same thing. You know, a lot of the times when we hear of vines, we hear of trees. You know, but the Bible describes them as exactly the same. So let's go to John 15. John 15. I know. I'm there. Now, what people got to understand about a vine, you know, if Jesus, well, let's let's let the Bible speak and we'll get right into it. These are the words of Jesus. St. John and John. St. John. Okay, St. John of 15 and verse 1, and it says, I am the true vine. So that means that, you know, there are lots of vines out there, but, you know, Jesus himself is the true vine. That's right. Well, right, you know, you got a lot of uh, people that consider themselves life forces, like we talked about these false religions. They're a vine because they got people clinging to them. You got people supporting them. You got people growing with them, but they're not the true vine. 
So it is important that we understand what the true vine is, which is Christ. And then he says, And my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. So, you know, this is Jesus again using the simplicity of words in terms of vines that we might understand. He said, every branch in me that is in Christ uh, that beareth not fruit, uh, the Father taketh away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purgeth it, that it may um, bring forth more fruit. So the reason he's using the word vine, because, you know, you don't see any fruit grow disconnected from the tree. We've got to understand that a connection with our Lord and Savior is what gives us our life that we may bear fruit. Now, you see, you got a lot of places like churches and false religion, not all churches, just the false ones, cutting this off from people. You want people to know the Lord themselves. But what a lot of, you know, religious institutions do is they'll have the Pope come between you and Jesus. Pastors come between you and Jesus. Cardinals and bishops Mm -hmm. between you and Jesus. And you see, that cuts off the life source from what the Lord wants you to know. When Jesus spoke of being a vine, and we being branches, it's kind of like a, a type of intimacy that you draw that close. And you know the funny thing about branches? Branches look very much like a smaller version of the tree. You know, the tree itself is um, usually thick at the bottom, and as you get to the top, the tree becomes more pointed. If you look at branches, they look the exact same way, just on the outside. Mm-hmm. But you see, branches resemble trees. So it is important that the Lord is saying this, that we understand that we might be smaller versions of him, but we are to resemble him in life, in fruitfulness, in growth. And if we're not connected to this vine, we can be detached. So Jesus could have used a lot of terms here, but he's using the simplicity of vines and branches, things that can be understood from a child and to a scholar Even a scientist knows this, but you know, children can understand this as well. Mm -hmm. So then he says, abide in, oh no, verse three. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. So he made clear, hey, have you guys ever seen fruit grow without the tree? Then you can't grow either aside from me. So what does the Lord do to make us more intimate with him? Vines and branches. That's the simplicity in Christ. All people have got to do is spend time. Now some would say, well, how do I spend time? Get into his word. Study his word like the Bible commands us. Have a life of prayer. There's something that you can pray about every day. Or you can even play gospel music or sit in the presence of the Lord. Lord, what would you have me to do? Talk to him. He's he's alive. You're not talking to some graven image or some statue. You're talking to the king of kings who is alive and well and sitting on the right hand of the father. It's important that we understand this. All right. So he says, verse five, I am the vine. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him. 
the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. So he's using organic terms here, because he wants us to understand that, would you eat rotten fruit? Would you eat wheat that was not good? No. You burn that stuff. You burn tears. So, you know, I'm not going to say the Lord was threatening. He was letting us know the truth that if we don't bear fruit, then we are no good. But he gives us plenty of opportunity to bear fruit. He gives you a lifetime to get to know him, to spend time with him. That is the grace of God. Amen. But when he talks about being burned, you guys can draw your own conclusion on what he's talking about there. But, you know, if you're unfruitful at the end of time, if you fight against the Lord, you don't want him. The only place for you when the Lord comes back is the lake of fire. Because, you know, you have been unfruitful. You, you did not want him. You didn't speak to people about him. But he uses the vine and the branches, man. What an awesome God. Verse 7. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. So, just like vines and branches, I believe that there are laws in creation that I'm sure God had placed in um, trees where they produce oxygen. They bring forth food. You know, they do things. They accept water, you know, from the rain or whatever, or planted by the rivers, and they grow. But it's important that we understand that he's saying that if you abide in me, you know, like a faithful um, child, then the Lord will do anything for you. He'll do it for you if you abide in his word. But see, a lot of the times people want to do things aside from the spirit, and then they wonder why their lives get tripped up, and then they're blaming God. The unproductive life of a Christian is simply due to disobedience. When you are obedient to the Lord and you stay connected to the vine, you will bear fruit. Now, there's nothing more frustrating than you being connected to the vine and you're bearing fruit. And then you've got those fruit. Like, you know how trees grow, guys. I just want to make this point. But you know when a tree um, grows and it has fruit, yeah. what um, fruit fall off, mm -hmm. you know, seeds go down in the earth, they mm -hmm. get planted, and more trees pop up. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing more frustrating than a tree that tries to bring forth or brings forth another tree. And let's just say that tree held back his fruit, held back everything, didn't want to drop any seeds. So, you know, what could that tree do for the Lord? Remember when Jesus cursed the, um, that, that fig tree? Yeah. Because he, he went for food and there was no food on it. Yeah. So Jesus cursed it that it would bear no more fruit. Yeah. So it is important that we yeah, be like know. Christ. Yeah. Absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. So he says, uh, where, um, wherein is my father glorified that ye bear much fruit? So shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So Jesus is the perfect example. Jesus is the best example you can use in this because the Father commanded him. And while Jesus was here on the earth, no matter what he was doing, he stayed connected to the Father. And because he stayed connected, he was being used. 
then Jesus comes forth as a vine to you and I that we may bear fruit. So he's like the common denominator. He's the in-between. The Father used him. He takes care of us. But we must stay connected to that vine. So you see how simple the Lord just makes it? That everyone can understand. Let's go to Jeremiah 2 and let's go to verse 21. Jeremiah 2. It's toward the middle of the Bible. I know, it's right here. Okay, cool. That Bible's working for you, huh? Yes, it is. <laughs> All right. I'm there. All right. Now, you know, this is so funny how... The Book of Prophet, right? That's right, Jeremiah. And he says, this is verse 21. 2 and 21? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, let's go to 20, verse 2, two and 20. He says... Um, Oh, 19, sorry. He's talking about Israel here. So this is Jeremiah 2 and 19. Thine own wickedness shall correct thee, and thy backsliding shall reprove thee. Know therefore and see that it is an evil thing and bitter that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God, and that uh, my fear is not in thee, saith the Lord God of hosts. So, you know, Israel's problem was they didn't have any fear of the Lord and they backslid and they would go after pretty much everything you see today. They worship Baal. Baal is the father of all false religion today aside from Jesus Christ. Guarantee you if they're doing it in the world, they're worshiping Baal. Mm -hmm. And that includes the Catholic Church. All right. So he says, um, verse 20, for of old time, I have broken thy yoke and burst thy bands and thou saidest, I will not transgress when upon every high tree and under every green behind, I mean under every high um, hill and under every green tree thou wanderest playing the harlot. So Jesus well Jesus the Lord here is saying that um, you know you guys have promised me many times that you would not transgress against me. You know Israel had problems the Lord freed them and he gave them himself, like, hey, guys, come in. And, oh, Lord, I'll never do it again, I promise. But he said, every time I turn and look at you, you're up on the high hills worshiping other idols, and you're behind every green tree hiding out, playing the harlot, cheating on the Lord with other gods. So he says in verse 21, Yet I had planted thee a noble vine, holy a right seed, how then art thou turned into the degenerate plant of a strange vine unto me? So the Lord is making it clear. You know that this is Jesus because he said he planted a noble vine for Israel. Guys, all you've got to do is stay with me and everything will be fine. He said, but you guys have become, how did you become a strange vine? How did you forget the words of God and go off and do what you want to do? But look at what he says, verse 22. <laughs> For though thou wash thee with nitre, and take thee much soap, yet thine iniquity is marked before me, saith the Lord. So no matter how much you try and burn things off, and you try and wash and scrub, he said, man, your iniquity is still there. So in order for the Lord to use us and for us to be that proper vine, you know, we've got to allow ourselves to be purged. 
We really do so that he can use us. If we stay connected with him, the Holy Ghost will show you the error in your ways and we will bear much fruit. All right. So we don't need to go into the other one. You guys can check this out in your spare time. This is Mark 14, 22 through 25. And then he said, you know, that if they would drink, you know what? Let's go there real quick. Sorry. Mark 14. Left or right? Right. Yeah. Right. Matthew. Yep. Right between Matthew and Luke. All right. Mark. Mark 14, and we're going to start at verse uh, 22. There. All right. Mark 14 and 22. Mm-hmm. And then Matthew looking for Mark. So and behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogues, Jairus by the name. And when he saw him, in when he saw him, he said, "Huh?" We're going to fourteen. Well, fourteen. Yeah. Oh yeah. So look at look at Mark fourteen verse five. Yeah, Mark 22. fourteen and verse twenty-two. And he says, and as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and break it and gave to them and said, take and eat. This is my body. And he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. So he said that this is my body and they, and then he gave them the cup, you know, and they ate and drank. This is the Lord's supper. And he said unto them, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is uh, shed for many. Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until the day that I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. So what was the Lord saying here? He was trying to make the point that he wasn't going to do any more miracles. There was nothing else that he was going to do at this point because, you know, he had to be offered up. But he said that he would not drink of that vine. What is that vine? His father. He was not going to um, go any further, I guess, in terms of letting the um, father give him life. He was going to be sacrificed up for the sins of the whole world. So you see, Jesus was obedient unto death. And that's what we need to be. If we're connected to the vine, um, branches have no problem being like vines. They have no problem growing or even imitating the vine as long as they stay connected. So we're going to move on to three. This is three is trees. Now I know we talked about vines, but now we're going to go into trees. So let's go to Matthew 7 and we'll begin in verse 13. That's back the other way, one book. So the trees and the vines, they're very similar, very, very similar. But this is the Lord again, using simple terms that we might understand him. So um, verse 13, Matthew, are you there? Yeah. All right. Matthew 7 and 13, it says, enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction and many um, there be which go in thereat. So when we look at the straight gate, we know that that straight gate is Christ. We already talked about 
how false religion and things will push people away from the simplicity that is in Christ. So a straight gate is a simple gate, but it is a true gate. Verse 14, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. So the Bible makes clear that very few people are saved. You rarely meet true Christians that are out doing the will of the Lord in, in obedience to what the Lord calls you to do. I know the way it looks in the world. You got people that, well, you know, you see churches of 5,000. You say, man, there's a lot of Christians in here. You rarely meet true Christians. I mean, those who are led by the Spirit in all that they do. So Jesus says, few will find the straight gate. Most people, if you look at most false religions, look at um, Catholics, two, two billion strong. Islam, a billion strong. Jehovah Witnesses, eight million strong. World Mission Society, Church of God, million strong. Mormons, 10, 40 million strong. Why? Because they're all going after their own desires. Mm -hmm. But you see, the gospel doesn't, doesn't reach people like that. You see, the gospel is repellent to those who are against the Lord. Mm -hmm. You know, because the gospel won't let you do whatever you want to do or yeah. believe whatever you want to believe. Verse 15, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. So Jesus is warning the people that if you want to go through the straight gate, you better be aware of these false prophets because this is, these are who are enticing people, like, like the serpent beguiling Eve, pulling people away from the truth. Yep. They'll give you a sweet gospel. Verse 16, Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Uh, even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. So what is the Lord telling us here? If these are fruit that we're speaking of, then what gift do you think will manifest from knowing fruit? From knowing trees, I should say. Evangelizing? Discernment. Okay, evangelism is in there too. But you see, the Lord is helping us to discern. The Lord knows that we don't understand a lot. So when you discern, you're able to look at a situation and you know what it is. Mm -hmm. The Lord says you will know them by their fruit. Why? Because you got a lot of slick talkers out there. You got a lot of people, man, that got, I mean, they got oratory that will just put people to shame. Like, man, you're so smart and you know all these things and you tell jokes and you make people laugh and all this. But that person could be an absolute false prophet. Yeah. So the Lord says, don't try and, you know, pay attention to just oratory. I'm going to show you who is mine and who is legit. The fruit that they will bear will let you know who you should follow. So that's so important that the Lord has given us. Yeah. So that's why he called them trees. He said, man, look at the tree. A good tree is going to bring forth good fruit. A corrupt tree is going to bring forth evil fruit. That is the only way that it goes. Amen. And that's why you got people in church living like hell and calling themselves Christians. I mean, it's amazing. Now, we all got things that we might struggle with that we're working out. But let the Lord work with you. Verse 19. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. 
Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. So it is important that we know. Look at 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? So you see, there are going to be people out there that will be, you know, dealing with devils, doing wonderful works and all these things, but their problem is they don't know Jesus Christ and they are not led of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. So what are they doing? Dead works. The only fruit that God is interested in you and I having is the fruit that he wants you to produce. What he calls you to do in your life is all that matters. God's will, not our own. Some people will go to a church and, and say that they're doing the will of the Lord. And they might be a greeter. They may be in the pie and cake sale. They may sing in the choir. But if that is not the will of the Lord, you are wasting your time. If you have to be able to yield to what the Lord calls you to do. And how do we get that? Get to know him. Allow ourselves to be used of him. Empty ourselves out so that he can fill us. Amen. It is important that we understand that. I went, I fasted one time for like six months. All I can do is liquid because mm -hmm. of my jaw surgery. Right. Mm -hmm. right. I'm sure you felt real clean too. Oh, you yeah. Know? Oh, yeah. I couldn't smoke, I couldn't drink, I couldn't, I couldn't mm -hmm. eat nothing. Yeah. Horrible. Oh, yeah. The <laughs> Lord was, is good. Pain. Absolutely. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me that work iniquity. And that's a scary thing. That's a scary thing to believe that you're in the truth your whole life and you're not. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why all these are going to go together. A vessel gives himself over. Branches, they mimic the tree. I mean, they, they mimic the vine. They stay connected with the vine. See, these people might have done works, but they may not have stayed in. You know what I'm saying? They might have once got what they needed from the Lord, used him and went on with everything, but they didn't keep the relationship pure. And that's why with the church of Ephesus in the seven churches in Revelation, the Lord says, I will remove your candlestick if you don't, because if you leave your first love. He warned them about keeping your first love. It doesn't matter what works we do for the Lord. We have to recognize that he is our source of life and we cannot part from it. So let's go to, um, let's go to Matthew uh, 12 and we'll start at verse 30. Okay. And then I think we can move on. Alright. See how simple it is? But people make it so hard. Matthew 12 and verse 30, and it says, He that is not with me is against me. These are words of Jesus. And he that gathereth not with me um, scattereth abroad. So the Lord is also making clear, For those that be of him, you're going to know them. They're going to be with the Lord. They're not going to be scattering. So the Lord is saying, if you're not doing his will, then you're scattering. Where you could be out winning souls and you're off doing your thing, you're scattering. Now, some people will say, oh, that, that sounds kind of harsh. That's not harsh. The Lord is saying, if you're not building the kingdom, if you're not helping him, then who are you helping? Remember, you're either a vessel of the Lord 
or you are a vessel of the enemy. Mm -hmm. So he says in verse 31, Wherefore I say unto you, All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. So it's so funny how he's saying that, you know, you can say what you want about Jesus or the Father and be forgiven. But if you blaspheme the Holy Ghost, like, for example, you gave your testimony last night. Now, the Lord worked with you. If someone were to come along and say, oh, man, I don't believe that. Oh, you watch too much TV. You know what you're doing? You're blaspheming the Holy Ghost. Yep. So, you know, I'm quick to, if someone is being blessed of the Lord, hey, then praise the Lord. You know, and I believe what God can do. But if you you telling somebody, oh, man, that ain't true. The gifts are done away. The Holy Ghost is seized. There's no Holy Ghost or whatever they say. Man, that is blasphemy at the highest level. Now, if you did something in ignorance, you need to repent and ask the Lord to forgive you. But if you have willingly or knowingly blasphemed the Holy Ghost, the Bible says you can't be forgiven in this lifetime or in the one to come. Now, why is that? Because the Holy Ghost is the apple of God's eye. The Holy Ghost is down here empowering every believer, you know, glorifying the kingdom of God, giving power unto the angels, and down here fighting for our souls. He is the whole, he's doing everything, and you know, he's a, like a nameless servant. He comes to speak of Jesus. So God is not going to excuse blaspheming the Holy Ghost when the Holy Ghost was sent in the name of Jesus, to do his will. So if you blaspheme the Holy Ghost, you're blaspheming Jesus. You blaspheme Jesus, you blaspheme the Father. So you see how that goes? It goes all the way back to the source. So what do you do when you blaspheme the Holy Ghost? You blaspheme God. Yep. Period. Period. Scary stuff. Mm -hmm. So it says in verse 33, Neither make the tree good uh, and his fruit good, I mean, either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else um, the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. So he's making clear that men are trees, and how are you able to judge them? Not who's coming and giving you Christian hugs, not who's baking cookies for you. I mean, there's nothing wrong with those things, but the Lord is like, you will know them by their fruit. Jesus never played that game of, you seem nice, so I think that you're a good person. Right. Lord said, man, look at his fruit. Look at his fruit. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Jesus said, if you don't gather with me, you scatter it. You know how many nice sinners there are out there that don't know the Lord? You know how many people are out there, man, kinder than what you would call the so-called Christian, but they're not gathering. They are corrupt fruit or corrupt trees that need the Lord to, to help them to grow that they might gain. Yep. So, you know, tree is the third one, you know, and you'll know them by their fruit. The Lord is teaching us discernment by using trees. <clears throat> you know when it's winter time, right? By looking at a tree, if it's not evergreen, mm -hmm. you know because there's no leaves on the tree. That's the perfect time to know what season or what the state of something is. Yep. That's how awesome Jesus Christ is, using a tree for discernment. He didn't go into, you know, if you look in his eyes and they turn red or he, you ain't got to do all that. The Lord is simple. Man, a tree will bring forth good fruit if it's of him. Yeah. And also because 
we've dealt with people who can they can act like they know the warriors they may even know the warriors they can even talk and you know like man we need to go out and do this and we need to get people built up for the Lord they can even speak in the simplest of words mm -hmm. you know about things but if they're not bearing any fruit it's like all the stuff that they're saying is like it's just that vanity it's that you know waste of a breath and that is why like you said mm -hmm. uses the trees like where is your fruit if you're talking about all this stuff then why don't you have a ministry of your own mm -hmm. you know why are you saying all this stuff and there ain't no proof no life no evidence of you even being born again right. you know the thing too is I love what Pastor Price says if you get a chance I don't know if you have access to a computer or not no. okay um, but I could actually um, send you some videos or days we might hang out and I'll show you some stuff mm -hmm. but uh, Pastor Price talked about that you know a lot of people will talk about what they have but he said you know the surest sign is check the seat next to you mm -hmm. He said, man, you ain't got nothing. You know, because if you're really bringing in the harvest, then, then, you know, then you're really, truly doing the Lord's will. But if you're not bringing in the harvest, if nobody's been born again out of your loins, if you ever ministered to anybody that's come forward, then he's saying, hey, then check the seat next to you. That is your witness against you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's fine if we're there. Because the Lord wants us to be productive. Exactly. But we first have got to be realistic in where we are. Exactly. Why? That vessel, empty, desiring to be filled. Yep. All right? So we're going to move on. Let's go to the next is light. The light of the world. So let's go to Matthew 5. Light of the world is the fourth word. Fourth saying, or I'm there. All right. So the Bible says exactly. So this is uh, Matthew five. We'll start at verse one. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the king kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn." for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. So what is Jesus um, mentioning here? The fruit of the Spirit. Yep. Okay, he's taking the fruit of, that is in Galatians 5 and 19, or 23 or 22, one of them. Mm -hmm. But he's, he's identifying those who are believers you know blessed are they that are poor verse five, verse 7 and he said those who hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven so, you know, he's given examples here. A lot of people, if you're really a believer, you will be persecuted for righteousness sake. See, all of these things that we're naming so far sheds light on Jesus Christ, mm. not on you. But it is to teach people what is right. Meekness, you know, there's nothing worse than being in a room full of proud people. <laughs> people arguing their point, I'm not wrong, or me personally, I, blah, 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 blah. But he's saying the meek are not that way. 
Jesus very rarely spoke of himself unless he was giving an example that people may know to follow him. Yep. Okay, so let's continue. And then he says, uh, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. So when he says... People may persecute you and say all manner of evil against you, falsely lying on you. The Lord didn't say be sad. He didn't say go to counseling. He didn't say go look for friends. He said rejoice. Why? Because if you were like Christ, the world is going to come against you. And we're going to see why this is important concerning light. So then he says, um, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Now, the prophets were lonely men because they were out there in every town as the light of God, just telling people, warning people, people, repent. If you don't repent, Babylon's going to come. Then Persia's going to come. Then Rome and Greece are going to come. Nobody heard the prophets. Now, see, when you're preaching the real gospel, most people won't hear you. Mm -hmm. There will be people that will receive it. But most people are going to hate your guts for telling them the truth in Jesus Christ. Verse 13, here we go. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. This is Jesus using another example. What is salt? Salt is a preservative. It keeps things fresh. It keeps things savory and depending on how much you use, tasty. You know, but if the salt loses its savor, it's no good. So the Lord is speaking, obviously, of his church. He's speaking of believers. Man, if you don't have that salt in you, what is a preservative? What are we as preservatives? We, we continue to tell people about the Lord. We contend for the faith. It is important that we, you know, push up Jesus. Mm -hmm. We show people, hey, Christ is in me. Because that's why I'm doing for you. Yeah. I told I told this this uh, chick last night her her friend was from Israel, mm -hmm. and he's one of the ones that laid hands on me. Mm -hmm. And she said she's from Italy, mm -hmm. and she said that they have a different uh, the way she was raised. They have a different seeing of them what us Americans do. Man, you couldn't have said a truer thing. You want to be honest. The real Christians, and, and Lord forgive me for saying this because there are some here in this country, but the majority of real Christians are in foreign countries. Why? The real Christians, because they get persecuted for what they believe. See, with them, Christianity is not a joke. You can die for the faith. You got in some Muslim countries, those Iranian Christians and those Arab Christians and all those people out there that are really believing in Jesus, not Islam. See, for you to be a Christian in the Middle East, you are a real Christian. Why? Because you're going to be outnumbered 100 to 1. That's a, that's a real Christian where you stand for the faith there. You know how many Chinese and, and um, Japanese Christians are persecuted, Russian Christians being killed for the name of Jesus? Those people are the light and salt of the earth. Why? Because they are claiming to be what is in the most dangerous places in the world, mm -hmm. Christians. But out here, you got people playing around, laughing and joking, giggling, 
And they think they're Christians now until persecution starts. Then you'll find out who's who. Yeah. Well, just about everywhere else in the world except for here, it's already been outlawed to be a Christian. Like they will kill you. Mm-hmm. And in Italy, from my understanding, they are they are they made it a law. It's like if you're a Christian, we find out they will kill you. That's right. So it's like you know, it's a great stance, and it is going to come here, and that's what we really need. We need that uh, it being outlawed because oh, yes. then it's really going to show people who we really are for mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. Absolutely, and that's why those people really are being light. They are being light. No matter where they are in a world of darkness, they are telling the truth, even if it means their lives. Yeah. And I, and I told, I also told uh, some people, I said some elderly people, and they were just drunk and just like falling everywhere. I said, you know what, look, we all have the power of Christ in us. We all have Jesus in us. But some of us just don't want to repent and do his will. You want to do your own will. Mm-hmm. And that's what the, um, Paul says in Galatians 4 and 19. I labor with you in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Mm-hmm. Because you see, Jesus Christ controls, I think, in some areas of a believer. You know, he might have your speech. He may have your um, appetite and desires for things. You know, there are a lot of things you might adopt that the Lord gives us. And it is important that we understand that the Lord wants to consume us all. He wants your being so that he might use you in every good work. So going back to vessels unto every good work. You see, but we might be um, vessels right now for some works, but then there's other works we simply cannot do because we have not handed it over to the Lord. Exactly. All right, so he says... Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men uh, light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. So, you know, when he says that this light will give, um, will put light unto all that are in the house, you got to think about the fact that when Jesus said, go and preach the gospel, he wasn't kidding around. He said to every creature, Whomever we come into contact with, the name of Jesus should be mentioned about someone's salvation. Why? We can't assume that people truly know Jesus. I've met some Christians that were not really Christians, but, you know, after talking to them about the Lord, they pursued him after that. So we can't assume because someone's in a church that they're Christian, you preach the gospel wherever you are. And don't look from the outside, uh, he seems like a Christian. Minister to him anyway, because what Sarah and I have found out, out there on the street, there are a lot of people using the name of Jesus, but but don't even know him. Mm-hmm. Not biblical in the least. No Bible Jesus whatsoever. A Jesus, uh, uh, you know, of their imaginations. Mm-hmm. And that's why the Bible talks about that simplicity, about knowing the right Jesus. Because a lot of people will say, oh, I believe in Jesus, but they believe in a false Jesus. Yep. So he said, man, be the light. Let your light so shine before men that that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So if we are ashamed to shine that light, we need work. We need to get closer to the Lord that he might live in us. But you see, we're doing this to glorify Jesus. And this is why people consider the gospel offensive. You know why? Because you're actually taking, since Jesus uses simplicity, 
You're t imagine the lights out in this room, just dark for years and years. And you come in with an LED light shining in people's face talking about get to know Jesus. You see people, oh man, get that light out of my face because they're in darkness. So you see, light would seem rude, but light is only to lead you unto the truth. Mm -hmm. So that's why people can't receive the gospel. But Jesus said, hey, be a light. Mm -hmm. We don't know of any light, including this light in this room, is not hiding under that couch. This light in this room is not ashamed to show its light. Mm -hmm. You turn it on, that light will shine until either the bulb burns or I'm unplug it or turn it off. But that light is not ashamed to shine. The sun's light is not ashamed to shine. Mm -hmm. This is what I do. This is who I represent. And, and this is me. And we can't be afraid to shine. Amen. Right. Amen. Amen. Let's go to um, John 8. And then we can move on. I'm going to get a quick example. But look at the simplest of words. Man, I wish I could talk like Jesus. I wish I had that where he could just make such an example. I mean, he didn't go and rehearse this. No. This is the Holy Ghost. All right. John 8 and verse 1, and it says, Jesus went and... um." unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them, and the scribes and Pharisees uh, brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had uh, set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act, so they caught her doing it. Uh, now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to excuse, I mean, to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger, wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. And when they continued uh, asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. Um, and again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. So Jesus, they caught this woman in the act. And you see how Moses' law is. Everybody wants to act quickly. You know, all right, there's sin. Take them out in the field and stone them. All right. But see, God is different. So Jesus said, okay, fine. If we're going to go according to Moses' law, since we're all good and this woman is bad. All right. So he who is without sin in here, get it, get the ball rolling. Grab a stone and hit her, you know, or do what you need to do with it. And again, he stooped down on the ground and he wrote, I mean, he wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. So what was Jesus doing? Shining his light on their ignorance, on the law, you know, because without grace, you know, we just wouldn't be able to do this. We are growing slowly with the Lord. And he gave this woman a chance at redemption that she might know the Lord. So you see how much more powerful grace is over the law? Mm -hmm. The law just convicts. But the Lord is after winning souls. 
you know, and how he can. So, you know, they all left and the woman is dead and Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman and, and he said unto her, woman, where are thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. So we understand Jesus got the situation straight. What about how? By shining the light on all wickedness. That is what God will do. And this is how we should righteously judge situations, having the spirit. Mm -hmm. So he says, uh, when Jesus said, uh, where am I? 12. Verse 12. <laughs> then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So Jesus is making clear that if we intend to follow the Lord, then we need to lay it all out on the table. We need to make realistic what we are and how we truly live. Yeah. But the Pharisees tried to preach themselves righteous, and they were unrighteous. John 3, and then we're going to move on. I just want to make this quick point in John 3. I'm there. All right. All right, John 3 and 17, and it says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. So it's not our job to convince people, it's our job to shed light on Jesus Christ. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness. So we got to understand when we preach Jesus, we are bringing light into the world. But the Bible makes clear that the men of the world love darkness rather than light. Why, Jesus? Because their deeds were evil. So you see, most people don't want you telling them what to do when they're evil. You know, when, I, when my deeds are dirty and no good and the Lord comes and pulls the sheets off of them, you know, a lot of people, I mean, think about it. Most parties, most clubs, most places, the lights are down dark. Why? Because there's nothing but no good stuff going on in there. Yep. So when you come and shed light, people don't want it because their deeds are evil. But if you are in the light and in righteousness, you can bring everything to the forefront because you got nothing to hide. Mm -hmm. You are coming in the light of Christ and the truth. Exactly. So that's what light of the world is. We are to be lights unto Christ. Jesus was the light unto the world that people might come in. All right, we're going to the fifth word, which is soldier. Soldier. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Let's go to Second uh, Timothy chapter 2. Went back the other way. Oh, going right. So now you got a book you can study with. That's cool. Mm -hmm. All right. Second Timothy 2. Yeah, There's the second epistle. Yeah, we were there earlier. Right, so let's hear what Paul has to say. He said, um, you there? 
Mm-hmm. All right. So Paul says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. So he said, Be strong in the faith that is in Jesus, uh, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. So Paul is letting his light shine. The same commit thou to faithful men. So what Paul is doing, faithful men ought to do, who shall be able to teach others also. So why is he? Why is why did Paul get built up in the go that he might teach others and they may do the same? But look at verse three. Thou therefore, because if we're talking about going and teaching and preaching the gospel and coming after and being a faithful man of Jesus. He said, therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So we got to understand, if we are going to truly be soldiers, when we get saved, we are soldiers for the Lord. And this is why most people fall out of this thing, because they expect an easy walk. I mean, the life of following Jesus is joyous, but he said Paul would glory in his sufferings following the Lord. So going and preaching the gospel, staying connected to the vine, you've got to fight to do these things because your flesh is going to try and keep you from doing it. The influences of the world are going to try and keep you from staying in line. So Paul says, okay, now that we're talking about faithful men, endure hardness and see yourself as a soldier of Christ. And we truly are. If we are in spiritual war, then we've got to be a part of an army. That only makes sense. Why do you think Paul talked about the full armor of God? Now, we got to understand another thing about soldiers. Soldiers in any army, unless they're crazy, they obey the commandments of their military authority. Sarah was in two branches. You were in, um, I was going to say the Marines, you were in the army. And she was in the Navy. And the rules were the absolute same. I don't care what they call their elite forces in the military in different countries. They all obey what they are told to do. Mm -hmm. That is the only way that an army is going to work. And now you know there's no such thing as a weak army. No. You've got to be. That's why they take you through basic training. You become battle ready. You learn how to follow military command. You become very disciplined and what you're called to do and efficient with it. So we've got to understand that soldiers are disciplined. Soldiers will do what their commander tells them. Look at what Jesus said in the Old Testament. I am what? Captain of the Lord of hosts. Our Jesus Christ is no wimp. But he wanted people to understand, I am captain of this army, and I'm going to have, you know, soldiers that are going to be faithful. So, man, I want to see myself as a soldier. When the Lord commands, you know, get in line. Fall in line, soldier. I'm falling in line. Yeah, sorry. And I was going to make a point on that. I'm glad you brought that up because I remember going when I was in basic both times. If someone, and they gave people an opportunity because they know that everyone in the beginning is just trying to come together and figure out, you know, why is everyone screaming at me and yelling at me? Mm -hmm. But they always know how to point out who's an actual troublemaker, the person that's just not going to get it, the person that's never going to fall in line, and the person that will not benefit the team as a whole. Mm-hmm. And after a certain amount of time, if they realize that that person is not going to be 
an actual soldier, they kick them out mm-hmm. because it's like, dude, you're the you're the weak link. And the same thing goes for our salvation. Is like if we're around people that are gonna like pull us down in our salvation, it's like we can't be around those people. We can witness to them, but after the course of time, if you realize that that person is just gonna do their own thing and they're not coming to Christ, it's like it's better to separate so that way our own salvation is not pulled down. Mm-hmm. Because everybody wants to talk about the love of Jesus, but here's the funny thing. How many people are hearing the military terms of Jesus? If you gather not with me, you scatter. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a military commander. Hey, if anybody's thinking about avoiding this mission, I just want you to know, you know, if you're not with me, you are against me. He's getting his troops in line. And then when he says, hey, don't fear he who can kill the body. Fear he who can cast the body and the soul into hell. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's something that we need to think about is Jesus is letting his people know, hey, if you're going to fear somebody, you need to fear me. Because a healthy dose of fear of the Lord is what gets us through. The Bible says in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And how a lot of people fear their military commander, we need to fear the Lord. As you know, if you go against proper authority, there'll be stiff penalties. You could find yourself in a, in a stockade for five years. You could find yourself counted for treason and be what? And on a firing squad. Yeah. Okay, so there are things, and I'm not trying to say the Lord is vicious mm-hmm. or mean, but he is a commander. Yeah. And he's making it clear. You either fall in line with me or you go out. But we're going to find out why some people won't be soldiers for Christ. Look at verse 4. No man that wars, warreth, entangleth, like gets involved in the affairs of this life, that he may please his commander, which is Jesus, who has chosen him to be a soldier. So when the Lord chooses us, we are getting enlisted for war. But people want to take salvation and make it smaller. This is another part of the simplicity. You wouldn't have a problem winning souls. You wouldn't have a problem standing in the face of persecution. You wouldn't have a problem being insulted, but continuing to go forward if you saw yourself as a soldier. So the Lord is trying to get us clear that we need to be soldiers. All right, let's go to, um, I was going to go to Ephesians. Well, yeah, let's go to um, 1 Timothy 1, since we're already here. 1 Timothy 1. So um, we're going to start at verse uh, verse 8. All right, 1 Timothy 1 and 8, it says, But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, and for ungodly and sinners, uh, for unholy and profane, Uh, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for uh, men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. So the Lord wants people in line that they understand that, you know, it has to go according to sound doctrine. All right, verse 11 
according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me for that he accounted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. Now, when did this happen? Acts chapter 9. Remember, the Lord came and got Paul and put him in the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Mm -hmm. So if you do something ignorant in unbelief, that's why we have grace to get it right. Mm -hmm. But when you know the truth and you willfully go beyond, you're skating on thin ice. Now remember, this is grace. So we never, if we're doing things that are not right, we need to ask the Lord to remove it from us because it won't be an overnight process. You know, there are some things you might know that fornication is wrong, but then, you know, there's your flesh that's not getting the message. Your flesh is still wanting to do it. There's still things in you that need to come out. So what we need to do is be honest, Lord. I mean, even if you got to cry tears, Lord, take this from me. I can't do this anymore. I know what I'm doing to you. Help me. That's what he's there for. The Bible says he is an ever-present help in your time of need. Right. So call on the Lord and he'll get it right with you. But if you like it, he's not going to take you away from your friends. That's right. Okay, so he says, And the grace of our God was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is um, a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. So Paul said, I was the chief sinner. How be it for this cause I obtain mercy. Not so he can go and lay up on a beach. Look at why. That in me, first Jesus Christ, might shew forth all long suffering. So Paul was chosen, remember, to suffer long for bringing the gospel around the world. For a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. So why is he doing it? To go and win souls. He's being a good tree. <laughs> now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, and only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit, like this command I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by, uh, by them mightest, that you might war a good warfare. So he's instructing Timothy in all these things. Why? So that Timothy may become a soldier for Jesus Christ. So he may war an effective warfare. People don't like to mention this, but this is the truth. Now, we don't have time for it, but, you know, Ephesians 6 talks about the full armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, girding up our loins with truth. Why? So that we won't have, the enemy won't have anything to go against us with. So it's important that we understand, you know, having our feet shod with the gospel. This word is important. There's nothing worse than an ignorant Christian of the word of God trying to preach. Mm -hmm. I've seen it happen. I've seen Muslims turn them to shreds, you know, and go against them because they would not learn what to say and what to do. There's nothing worse than that. So that's Ephesians 6. Um, you know, you guys check it out. The shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. 
Jesus or Paul makes it simple for Jesus. You know, Jesus used a lot of military terms, but Paul put emphasis on that simplicity. Get your house in order that you may stand in the time of war. And we have got to be built up in Christ. Next word, death. Death. Let's go to Colossians 3 and verse 1. And then from there, um, we got one more word. But the next word is death. Colossians 3. That was right near Timothy. All you had to do was turn back. It's in the back. Why is death important? Because if we don't die out to self and become alive to Jesus Christ, we cannot go forward with him. We just simply can't. There's too many things. That's why Paul said, as a soldier, don't get entangled in the affairs of this life. Mm -hmm. I've had men that went off to Vietnam. My dad even told me stories of, you know, when he was there, he didn't think of, you know, all the things that were back here. He thought of the task at hand. You know, he stayed prayerful, and that's how he stayed alive. But, man, my dad was worried about stuff back here. You know, you can't be effective for the will of the Lord. So Colossians 3 and 1 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above in heaven, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. So as a vessel empties itself, it is also important that a vessel must die. Why? So that you have no will against what God wants. And that's why if you're really dead to Christ, people that are dead in Christ don't fight to prove their point. Nope. They tell you the truth, and if you come, well, blah, 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 they're like this. All right, well, you have a good day, but you don't have the effort. See, Jesus never had the effort to try and prove who he was. Jesus did the will of the Father, and whosoever believed did. But you didn't find Jesus in arguing matches. He was only trying to help people get saved. But he didn't try and struggle to prove who he was. Jesus was authentic straight from the Father. Mm -hmm. So he says, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear... Then shall ye also with him in glory, mortified like kill therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So the Lord wants us to get beyond these things that we might be mortified. Now, if we're still idolizing something, then we're not dead to self and alive to Christ. We might idolize our job. We may idolize money. We may idolize alcohol. We may idolize drugs, wife, children, whatever it is. We are not yet dead to self and alive to Christ. So it's important that we know this. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the, in the which ye also walk sometime when ye lived in them. So Paul will admit, yeah, one time... We were all involved in these things. But now also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. So, you know, people can't tell me what's not important. How you speak determines what's in your heart. So he says, put those things aside that you might unfollow the Lord. 
That was hard for me. Verse 9. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. So why are we doing these things? That we may have the image of Jesus Christ. We have to let the old man, the old Adamic nature that we got from birth off. Now look at children, guys. This is how bad we need to die. You look at babies. You you know, they may have a rattle or something. They put it down. Another baby will pick it up. And no one has to teach that baby how to hit. That baby will automatically go and start fighting for the rattle. And then... <clears throat> They know what they're doing. They're trying to hurt. That is the sin nature that is even in babies. Babies are naturally selfish. They will not share their things. They got that from Adam. Mm -hmm. So the Lord wants us to die out to self that Christ may be alive in us. Mm -hmm. Because a dead man tells no tales. A dead man has no desire or opinion only but to follow the possessor. Just like the vessel. A cup is not going to get mad if you used them 15 times a day. A cup will go right back in the sink, dirty or clean. It makes no difference, but available for the use of the Lord. But if we're not dead to the world, we can't serve the Lord because we got things that we think will be more important than him. But if we give it to him, he'll take care of it. So we don't need to go any further. But Galatians 2, you know, talks about Paul said, nevertheless, not I live, I live, but Christ who is formed in me. He said that he is crucified with Christ. Mm -hmm. So we have to be crucified unto the death of Jesus Christ that we may emerge the new man, which is Christ in you. Does that make sense? Yes. All right, let's go to the lastly. We are going to go to bread of life. This is the last word for tonight. Bread of life. Why am I bringing this up? Because... The substance of God is all we need. Right. This is true faith when, when we call Jesus Christ the bread of life. Let's go to Luke 4. Luke. I was worried about you know, whether it would be good enough. It's a gift from the Lord and it's a gift from you. Amen. All right, so we go to Luke 4. We'll begin at verse 1, and it says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, uh, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended... He afterwards hungered. So Jesus was hungry. He didn't eat for 40 days. Now, this is an intense fast that can be only led by the Spirit. This wasn't Jesus' idea. This was the Holy Ghost that led him. Why? To subdue the old man, to crucify the flesh that Jesus' will would be as the Spirit wills. All right. So he says, And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones it be made i mean command this stone that it be made bread so what was the devil doing he knew that jesus was fasting he was hungry 
Jesus was trying to deny himself. So the devil tried to pull the same trick on him. He pulled on Adam and Eve. Hey, man, I know it's been rough. You've been out here a long time. Man, have some food. See, now, if Jesus would have done that just to satisfy himself, then he would have been going against what the Spirit desired him to do, mm-hmm. making Jesus Christ what? A sinner. Mm-hmm. So you see, when you're led by the Spirit, you cannot sin because the Spirit is only going to lead you in righteousness. Right. So he says, Jesus answered him saying, it is written. So Jesus had no opinion of himself. Jesus is dead right now to the world and to his fleshly desires. It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So it is important that bread alone can't save you, but the word of God will preserve you in this life and the one to come and put food on the table. This is one of the hardest things for a Christian to believe is that Jesus Christ is the bread of life. Man, look at the simple words that he uses. Bread of life. There's some other simple ones. Being the door. I am the door. If any man knock, he may enter in. I mean, it's that simple. Hey, come. if you don't know Jesus Christ, come before him with a pure heart. Lord, come into my life. If you are real, reveal yourself to me. Because I know my life isn't cutting it. That can be used as another word. You can put that afterwards. We're not going into it. But the whole term for door means that Jesus is the only way. He's the only gate. And if we give ourselves over to him, it's that simple. Knock. Now, of course, you're not going to knock on nothing. You're going to bug him. You're going to talk to him. Lord, I believe you're real. Lord, I want more in my salvation. I want the spirit. I want the Holy Ghost. I want signs and miracles following. I want to be like the disciples. I want to glorify you with me. Those are not prayers that that Jesus Christ is going to shy away from. Mm -hmm. He's going to come and see you. He said, if you draw nigh to me, God will draw nigh to you. That it's all about you drawing to him. Let's go to Luke 4 and we can conclude. But you know, I mean, not Luke 4, uh, John 6. John 6. But you remember in Luke 14, Jesus said, You know, if you don't hate your mother and your father, your brothers and sisters and all these things in your own life, you cannot be my disciple. Now, he's not saying to hate them, hate them, but he's saying that you should be in line with me more than them. Mm -hmm. I'm there. All right. John 6. We'll start at verse 24, and this will be the last scripture for tonight. So along with the bread of life, I want everybody to understand the door. The door is a simple term. Come unto me and I will let you in if you so choose. So this is bread of life we're working on. This is verse 24. Um, When the people therefore saw Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, They said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? So they were calling him, Master, what are you doing over here? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, You seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because ye did eat loaves and were filled. So this was the mass of 4,000 that Jesus fed in the the, um, desert. I don't know if you've ever heard the story, but he took them out there. 
in the desert and he took the loaves and the fishes and he broke it mm -hmm. and he was able to feed 4,000. Mm -hmm. So these are the same people acting like they care for Jesus, but all they wanted was some food. So Jesus called them out on it. He said, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat that perisheth, but for the meat that endureth unto everlasting life. So he's saying, don't just worry about your physical self. Don't stop worrying about regular things like work and food and all that. He was like, man, hearken unto me because I'll sustain you in this life and the life to come. Mm -hmm. So he said, um, okay, um, everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the, um, the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? So they're asking him, Lord, how can we do the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him who had who uh, on him whom he hath sent. So he's making it clear. You cannot work your way to salvation. All you've got to do is believe on Jesus Christ, and he will work in your life. Amen. They said, therefore, unto him, what sign shewest thou then that we may um, see and believe thee? What thou, what dost thou work? Like, what works are you talking about? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So these people here are trying to quote scripture and look for food. They're not interested in what Jesus is saying. They're using the word of God deceitfully, so Jesus will feed them. Verse 32, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the bread, the true bread from heaven. So that manna that Moses was giving them, before, that the Lord was giving them, he said that wasn't what sustained them. Now, if you guys remember when they were in the wilderness, you had people that didn't want Jesus. They were so busy begging God for food, begging for manna. Oh, we want quail. So there came a period where they got ready to eat the quail, remember? And the spirit struck them dead with the quail still in their mouths. Yeah. Like if this is what you want and you don't want God, then you're going to perish with that very meat that you're after. Mm -hmm. So that's why the Bible tells us not to go after things that don't profit. All right, so he says, um, where am I, 33? 33. 33. For the bread of God is he which came, which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. So they were looking again for physical needs and wants. God is trying to take us to a place of reality beyond what our five senses can pick up. What you experienced the other night was a, the last night was a taste of what God can do. But you see, if you had a carnal mind, if you were thinking there's no way that's possible, oh, are you trying to tell me that demons can live in a person? Oh, there's nobody that can heal but the doctors. If that was your mindset, that wouldn't have happened to you. But you believed Jesus Christ Amen. beyond what the doctor said, beyond what other people might think, Amen. and he healed you. Amen. So he says, and Jesus said unto him, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, 
and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I say unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. So is it possible that the Lord can work miracles in our lives and do things for us and we still not believe? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And this is why we have to die out to self and believe Jesus Christ. Because if you are invested in the world, you cannot have that faith to do what God calls you to do. Right. It just won't be there. Exactly. Verse 37. All that uh, the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. So you see, if you come to that door, the Lord will accept you. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which um, he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise up again in that, at that last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at that last day. So as we talked about before, that word believeth means more than just opening your mouth and saying it. Believing is a lifestyle. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. He was instructing you to do, not what you feel about it, you know? All right, I want to um, skip down real quick. Um, let's go to verse 44. Well, Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at that last day. Um, let's skip down. I want to go a little bit further. Let's go to verse uh, 47. The only reason I'm going over this is because Jesus is trying to make clear I am all that you need. Mm -hmm. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me um, hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So what flesh is he talking about? Christ in you. Christ in you is the hope of glory. And unless we come to this conclusion, we are going to be running after things that don't profit. Exactly. Man, this is all I want. You know, I'm learning. That having the favor of Jesus Christ is worth more than anything in this world. Amen. I'm learning that. It's one thing to say, well, yeah, I know that. I'm talking about putting this into real practice. Believing that, hey, I don't need a million dollars. As long as the Lord can sustain me and take care of me, that is all I'm concerned with. The Lord has done impossible things in my life that I know without him, there's no way in the world it could have been done. I should have been dead. I should have had things happen to me that did not happen. So I know that it is his timing that is impeccable. Man, I remember one day, remember I told that story? I loaned a friend of mine money. Um... Well, actually, I borrowed money from him. It was um, five, uh, $10, actually. Oh, yeah. And he, um, you know, um, I told him I'd give it back to him Thursday. 
So Thursday came, we went to the supermarket. I gave him back his money. But at this point, he left his wallet, you know, um, back at work. So he said, um, can I borrow $5, you know, whatever, because I'm, I'm short. So I was like, man, I'm broke. But I just gave it to him anyway, like, you know, hey, here you go. It's cool. And um, he went to give it back to me later when we got back to work. And I was like, no, nah, man, I'm all right. Keep it. Because I don't believe in, in lending. I believe in giving. Yeah. If the Lord gives, then you give freely. Exactly. And that goes with your faith. Because exactly. you see, you it takes more faith to give than it does to lend. Lending means I need to be sustained. I need this back. But see, giving says God is a true giver and he will give me. Long story short, I leave that night, you know, afterwards. I think I had about, man, I don't know, seven bucks to my name. I was broke. And um, I walked by this church over on Burnside and um, I looked down and I see a $5 bill laying there on the street. And I'm looking around like to see if it was anybody else's. There was nobody in sight. Now, I know there's homeless people that hang around that church, but there was none around there that night. The Lord gave me back, and I heard him speak. He gave me back the $5 that I gave that person. Now, some people would say, wow, wow, $5, big deal. But what the Lord was showing me is, my favor is upon you. Mm -hmm. If you obey me, I will sustain you. It could have been a mil it could have been a million dollars for all I cared. That was confirmation that if you give, the Lord will give unto you. Mm -hmm. And so so God's favor, the bread of life, to me, is more important than anything else that you can have in this world. Mm -hmm. Let's finish up where it'd be just about done. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Uh, the Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So you see, they're carnally minded. They refuse to see it. Why? Because they're thinking about some stinking bread. They're thinking about manner. They're thinking about eating. They're thinking about work. They're thinking about jobs. They're thinking about cold, hard cash. Instead of thinking about the bread of life that can sustain you in this life and the one to come. Yep. Yep. So he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat of my flesh of the Son of Man and drink of his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up at that last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. So he's talking relationship. He's talking about having Christ formed in you. Mm -hmm. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood um, dwelleth in me, and I in him. So if you got Jesus Christ in you, and Jesus Christ lacked nothing when he was here, what do you think is going to happen to you? Now, you see, this is a type of faith that people would think you were crazy. Mm -hmm. Man, you actually believe you can go on without working and the Lord will sustain you? Hey, I'm believing it because these are the words of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. He didn't say don't work, but he said man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word. So if the spirit moves you to an area, the spirit intends to sustain you in that area. Not by, by whatever means he chooses to. Just like how that guy told me to go to Illinois. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And he told me that he told me that God told him that. 
Exactly. And that's exactly what I was feeling. So at the same exact moment. Mm -hmm. That's right. So if you got Christ in you, he will sustain. Mm -hmm. As the living Father um, hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. So remember, if you eat of Christ and you get sustained by Christ, you shall live by Christ. But you got people trying to reap all the benefits, trying to pimp Jesus, trying to get what they can from him, but they don't want a relationship with him. All right, I'm closing right now. And he says in verse 58, this is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Now, this is what the children of Israel learned. Because remember, they were looking for manna, but they died with that manna. They didn't understand that manna was only God's grace. The, the goal was the promised land. The goal was the spirit. The goal was Christ in you. But these guys wanted that manna. And those that wanted that manna only stayed in the wilderness. They stayed in their own souls and they died in their own will. Yeah. You don't want that to happen. No. These things said he in the, um, the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many therefore of his disciples when they had heard this said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? So you see, they called Jesus hard. This is a hard saying. You want a relationship? All I want is bread. So you can't, you can't sustain these people if this is what's in them. And then he says, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, doth this offend you? What if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where um, he was before? It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So if we yield to the voice of Jesus, he will sustain. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray them, who should betray him. And he said, therefore said he unto you, that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. So this is the spirit of Antichrist. Mm -hmm. Jesus offered himself and they didn't want him. And if you look at it, look at the, um, the verse. It is John 6, 66 that this occurs. That you might as well say these men chose the mark of the beast than to choose a life with Jesus Christ. Because that's the only thing that the material things of this world can offer you. So he says, And then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. So unless we come to this conclusion... That following the word of God is what's going to get us through. We've got a lot to learn. But what I wanted to bring forward tonight was the simplicity in Jesus Christ. And how he explained things in a way that we might receive. He called himself the bread of life. All sustaining us in everything that we do. He's not just the bread of the belly. He is the bread of life. So, you know, that's the lesson for tonight. I want to tell everyone out there, I love you, but get into the simplicity of Christ. If you eat of him, he will sustain. 
If you um, are going to be of him, then be that light to shine and tell people the truth. And everything that was said tonight, trees growing fruit, vines, branches being as their vines, staying connected to the source of life. These are the things that's all we have to do to have Jesus Christ. We don't have to obey a pope. We don't have to look for the World Mission Society Church of God. We don't have to go into the Watchtower Track Society. All we need to do is know Jesus, and he will sustain. That's right. All right. Well, now let's go to Proverbs 18, and verse 1. This oh, is, I'll just listen. My that's, that's, eyes are hurting. No, that's fine. Proverbs, yeah. this, this is going to be kind of short, so it's Proverbs 18 and verse 1. Mm-hmm. Good. I'll catch up. Through desire, a man, having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. So, this verse here, you would think that if a man separating himself out, and it's good if we separate ourselves out from the world that we can be filled with Jesus Christ. But what this verse here is actually saying is, is that someone separates themselves from everything, separates himself from everyone, even separates himself from God, thinking that they are serving God, and what they will do, and it says here, with all wisdom, that means that they go to every establishment, worldly, godly, they go into churches, they may even go into some new age places, they go wherever wisdom is at, so they can get tidbits of wisdom, so they can appear to be knowledgeable, Mm -hmm. so they can appear to be wise and exactly they know nothing because all they're trying to do is make themselves look good and they're separated we've run into people like that all the time they're separated out but they're not trying to do the will of god exactly verse two a fool hath no delight in understanding but that his heart may discover itself when the wicked cometh then cometh also contempt with ignominy ig- Ignominy. Ignominy, reproach. That word ignominy means like shame, uh, disgrace, or dishonor. Mm -hmm. But look at verse 4. The words of a mouth, the words of a man's mouth are as deep waters, and the wellspring of wisdom as a flowing brook. It is not good to accept the person of the wicked to overthrow the righteous in judgment. So just like what was being spoken about tonight, about having discernment, is that you will, you will know someone by their fruits. So if a person is talking about, hey man, you need to come to know Jesus, just like what that man told you, mm-hmm. you're going to know them by what they are speaking, how they are living, what the fruit they are bringing forth. That's because true. if someone, this verse here, this chapter here really talks about, you got two people of wisdom, you got people in the world's wisdom, and you got people of God's wisdom. And the people of the world's wisdom or people who are trying to corrupt a ministry or trying to corrupt a church, you really got to be careful about what they're saying and how they're mm-hmm. acting because they can know what the scripture says mm-hmm. and lead people astray. That's right. So you have, to understand, you have to understand the person of God's wisdom, they're going to come in and they're going to exhort they're going to uh, correct, they're going to reproof, they're going to they're gonna have the fruit of the Spirit in them. That's a person of God's wisdom. We can't just look at someone and say, oh, because they're speaking, you know, nicely or because they, they look appropriate, that means that they're a servant of God. We've got to understand, and everything that someone says, 
Man, it better line up with God's word. That's how you know the difference between the, the only, two. The only time, the only time I knew is when as soon as she cast that demon out, and it said, "Yeah," and that's and that's when I knew, mm-hmm. and that's when I just boom, mm-hmm. I was like, "Whoa!" Wow. And I had to give thanks to, to Jesus oh, yeah. and God, one hundred percent. Totally. All right. So who's gonna pray out tonight? Any volunteers? Yep. I'll do it. All right. Heavenly Father, I want to come to you tonight in Jesus' name. And Lord God, I just want to thank you for this opportunity, for this day, Lord, that you've given us another time that we can draw closer to you. Lord. Lord God, I just want to thank you for everything that you've done for us because you are a faithful Father and you've not treated us as our sins deserve. And I'm praying, Lord Jesus, that the words that were spoken tonight, that, Lord, we take them within ourselves and we have a real understanding of what your purpose and what your calling upon our lives is because we're not promised another day on this earth. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I'm praying that everything that everyone is dealing with today, Lord, whether it be finances, whether it be family, whether it be marriage, whether it be children, whatever it is, whether people are struggling with alcohol, drugs, cigarettes, fornication, Whatever it is, Lord, that people will understand that these things are not greater than you. And you can deliver us all from it if we just give it to you, Lord Jesus Christ. This is the simplicity of Jesus Christ, that we give up the world, that we take up our cross, be sanctified in you, Lord God, and walk with you that others will come to know you. Because this world, Lord, wants to condemn. Satan wants to condemn people to hell. But you want to make us over in righteousness, Lord God, that we can be in heaven with you. Yes, Lord. So I'm praying, Lord Jesus Christ, that you will make us those willing vessels, Lord, that we come and that we cry unto you, that you clean us up from the inside out as you've done, and that we live for you, Lord Jesus Christ, and that we will become those soldiers, those warriors for you, Lord Jesus, that we give up the lust thereof that is in this world that just wants to keep us here. Yes, Lord. And that, Lord, when you call us to go, as you've done our brother Michael here, that we will go. That where you lead, Lord, we will follow. This is what it's going to take, Lord, in these last days. Because there are billions of people today, Lord, lost, going to hell. Because your church has fallen asleep. Well, I'm praying tonight in the name of Jesus Christ that we will wake up. That we will wake out of that comatose sleep that we've been in for so long. And that we take on the full armor of God. And that we go out into the battlefield. And that we... Talk to people about you, Lord Jesus Christ, so they can be delivered of this life here. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, because you are the only one worthy of all the praise, worthy of all the glory, worthy of all the honor. Lord Jesus, I'm also praying over those people tonight who are in hunger. They are in need of clothing, Lord, needing of shelter, Lord, that you touch them and that you meet them at their needs, but that you implant in them the Holy Ghost. That someone will preach to them the acceptable year of the Lord. This is what you're wanting us to do. Not staying complacent, not staying comfortable in this life, Lord. We have got to be as that cup, Lord. We have got to be as that pan that when you turn up the heat, Lord Jesus Christ, we are neutral, but we are willing to go out. This is what you're calling us to do, Lord. Use us. Use us as those vessels fit for the master to use. Thank you, Jesus Christ, God Almighty. And if you saved us, Lord, what have you saved us from? 
I'm praying that we not just sit silently on the sidelines anymore, but we tell people, Lord, you delivered me from alcohol. You delivered me from fornication. So people will understand who you really are. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You are Lord and mighty, mighty in battle. This is the God that we serve. So use us, Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, God Almighty. For you are the only one worthy of all the praise, worthy of all the glory, and worthy of all the honor. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus Christ, your most holy name, I pray. Amen. Amen.